this is the car dealer podcast driven by car gurus. You want the best return from your advertising budget and car gurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With car gurus piston heads you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market high quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, get 10% reduction off your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. This is our corner of the week where myself, James Baggett, and a willing guest talk about the news of the last seven days. You'll notice this week we've got a lovely new sponsor for the podcast. So thank you to Car Gurus for supporting what I think is arguably the best thing that Car Dealer does. What do you think, James? That is quite a claim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like most things at Car Dealer Magazine, um, we have to do our roundup of the week a little differently. If you've never listened before, this is the Car Dealer Quiz. Uh, my name is Rebecca Chaplin. I'm contributing editor of Car Dealer. Joining me is, of course, editor-in-chief James Baggetts. And our guest judge this week is Kazana, director of Insight, Rupert Ponton. Hello, Rupert. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Becca. How are you? I'm good. I always wanted to ask, how does it feel to be a director of Insight? That's such an amazing title. <laughs> Well, it implies many, many things, and uh, obviously, I'm going to claim to know everything. Um, no, it's a it's a wonderful title, uh, and uh, it covers many different things. And I am kind of responsible for looking at all sorts of different things to do, not only with the marketplace in the UK, but also a number of different European countries, uh, particularly the United States. And uh, I also look after the team that uh, helps us internally decide uh, how we operate, some of the KPIs we have internally, uh, looking at the performance of some of the different systems and internally and helping the team as a whole um, to uh, drive best practice really. So insight means a lot of things. I know James is going to have lots of questions about your insight into used cars. Good. I'm going to have many questions on that but most of my list this week <laughs> made up of used car stories so I don't want to. Oh so you don't want to get into it? I don't Ooh. want to waste it all at the beginning because I'm sure I'm sure we're going to get into it in detail. Okay well I will explain how the kids quiz works then instead and um, we'll mix things up this week. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, so if you've never listened before, James and I have both chosen our top five stories of the week. And Rupert is going to be our guest judge and decide who chose best. We'll obviously have a little chat about each story. And there are lots of rules, but we don't really follow them. And it basically comes down to if you say a story first, the other person's not allowed to say it. Um, and if you want to play along, then tweet Cardilamag with the stories you think we should have included this week. We'd love to hear if you think that we've missed something off. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard today, please let us know by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Um, so James won last time by Did Ford, I? I think. I don't even remember that. Yeah, it was Tom Giaconelli, wasn't it? He gave yeah, it to me, it then it gave it to you. <laughs> yeah, um, but that does mean we're drawing 10-10 to both of us. Um, I know, what a nice round number. Um, no yes. pressure on me then. No, no pressure. <laughs> um, so yeah, James gets to go first. That's good, because I had two really good stories that I couldn't choose which one to go with. So in case you picked it first, I was going to go with the other. It oh. um, uh, means I don't know which one I'm going to go for. Um, no, I'm going to go for the one that came out of the weekend, which is 
just absolutely baffled me. Now, uh, you might remember, this is the Trade Centre Group owner, Mark Bailey, who got into a massive row with a load of youths uh, over a skate park <laughs> outside the front of his house. Now, um, the reason I got, the re reason I spotted this one is I've got a friend in Wales who, uh, when I went to see him, um, he took me along the mumbles and he said, that's Mark Bailey's house, the guy who owns Trade Centre, Trade Centre Wales. And this place is absolutely huge. It's like something that's been dropped out of Miami onto the Welsh seafront. It's absolutely incredible. Um, he's clearly spent millions on it. Um, but he got into this row with, I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a video on many websites. Um, and But you know, you know what happens these days. People have a row in the street and everybody gets a phone out and records each other. So he's got his side of the row. And then there's all the teenagers in the skate park filming him. And um, he's basically going over there and he argues a little bit about the fact that they've called him nasty names for driving a Ferrari around. Um, and then they get into an argument about the fact that he's objected to the skate park, which is across the road from where he lives. Um, and they just get into this massive kind of really heated argument, which just degenerates into, into chaos, really. Um, them shouting at each other and threatening each other. But I'm just sort of staggered that this happened. Why did he do it? I don't understand why. I mean, I, I know these things when they happen on your you know, front, effectively his front lawn, uh, would, would get on your nerves. But it's not gone down well. I mean, if you see off the, 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 off the back of this, you, if you have a look at their trust pilot reviews, it's, it's basically everybody in Wales, whether they've bought a car from Trade Centre Wales or not, have gone onto this web, onto Trustpilot and given it one star reviews and they're horrendous. And it's really hard to get a good Trustpilot score, isn't it? And that's really damaging for business. Then there's this honk, honking campaign outside the front of his house. Um, and my friend, Dan, who drives past his house quite regularly, took He's a He's going to love having a mention. Is, yes, if he listens. Um, <laughs> it, it, he sent me a picture of the front of Mark's house and he's got this huge graf graffiti that are written on some swear words on the front of his, on the front of his um, drive, which was encouraging more people to honk. And the video on YouTube is just of, of thousands of people as they every time a car drives past his house, honks their horn. Well, Dan was saying, the Welsh people don't forget. You know, this is that they stick together on these sorts of things and this will go on forever. He said this is not going to be something that Mark's going to be able to um, to be able to get away with. He has come out with an apology on on Facebook. There was a um, there was a there was a post afterwards that, that, that apologized that his emotions got the better of him and his wife. Um, and and he and he said sorry. But I just get the feeling that the sort of damage is done a little bit on this one. I mean. Trade Centre Group were the, the most um, profitable independent dealer group, weren't they, in our car dealer top 100 last year? Very successful group. And I just, I think he's probably regretting this now. Um, did you see this one, Rupert? Did you see it? Yeah, the, um... I did. Um, and I, like you, was quite stunned. Um, it, I mean, these things are, these circumstances are very difficult. Um, but uh, it is best 
um, not to get involved, not to be drawn into that kind of discussion, um, and certainly not in an environment where you might be pictured. And I, I think that's a great shame. Um, you know, it, he's Mark's achieved an awful lot with that business, um, and as you rightly said, he, he has created uh, a very uh, a, a very strong presence in in Wales, um, and it is a great shame that there's uh, a, a loss of of control almost for, for for a second. However, emotionally driven that is, um, can cause so much damage to an incredibly good business, um, uh, and that's that's a great shame. I was extremely surprised to see that it had happened, uh, and actually really quite sad to see um, the the end result really for him. Um, and it is quite ended, unfortunately, you know, an apology is an apology and it was the right thing to do, but um, it's how quickly people can move on from it. We've, we've all lost our rag on, on occasions, but I yeah. think that, that these, the, the, the problem is now, is it everything's captured, everything yeah. gets shared instantly on social media. And I mean, the fact that this one blew up quite so badly and so quickly, I mean, it was heavily coveraged by the press in Wales um, and it's, all over social media and you know my, my friend dan obviously the beacon of uh, uh, when it comes to comes to everything going on in in wales he said everybody's talking about it it's the thing because they're such a big business he's got such a statement house it's this kind of this is how it's blown out of all proportion but yeah i was staggered i mean i'm, I'm sorry to see it happen but hopefully they can recover from it but yeah i agree with you i agree it's sad i'll, I'll move on becca is your go Okay, um, I, <laughs> um, I don't know why I put this one top, but I'm going to go with David Beckham investing in electric cars. Um, this, did this come out today or yesterday? Uh, yesterday. yesterday. So um, David Beckham has decided to invest in a new um, electric car company called Lunas. Um, and I just think that's when you know things are officially mainstream is when a footballer is investing in them. Um, he's taken a 10% share um joins the likes of the Barclay family Ruben Brothers Alexander Delal um so yeah there's a lot of a lot of investment in what's basically a conversion company isn't it converts yeah, classic cars yeah Range Rovers Jaguars and Rolls Royces but I mean I, I, oh the, the interesting thing with this one and I think the reason they they're, they're, they're throwing in so much money to this is they're planning to use the same expertise where they're where they're converting these classic cars into electric vehicles to revamp stuff like elect, uh, bin lorries and fire engines and other commercial vehicles that are past their sell-by date when it comes to diesel engines and, and, and emissions, but converting them to electric. And you can see, actually, that could be, that could be quite a money spinner, really, as we go. So, forward. The, so yeah, that's um, trying to think of another company that's done that almost like a Tesla-esque thing, isn't it, where you go with the, the performance car to show off, to fund something that actually will make you all the money in the end. Yeah, there is somebody else. I can't think who it is, but yeah, I was I was quite impressed with this uh, investment. And you're right, it does put it right on the map. Um, it, apart from the fact that it's not going to be the mainstream income for them, uh, I do very much like the idea of a of a sensitive, um, uh, you know, conversion of a classic car into an electric car to keep it on the road going forward. Because that's a that's a big concern of people for for the longevity of some of these really beautiful old cars. Uh, what will happen to them? Will they be on the road? Will there be fuel around to to get them to move? So, uh, yeah, I think it, it's a really good message. I like it if it kind of came down to the cheaper levels. It'd be nice to be able to do my Fiesta XR too. <laughs> with an electric yeah. Yeah. you could Why do not? it there is a company that does it well yeah but it'd be really expensive yeah it probably costs the same as the car well, but... it's easy to put in 
unloaded petrol in it at the moment. But It'd probably be cheaper than buying a Tesla, though, James. This is true. Hmm. He doesn't <laughs> want a Tesla. He wants his XR2. Yes. No, true. he does want a Tesla as well. Oh. <laughs> Never stops talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall I go? Yeah, you have a go. Cool. So that's good news because that wasn't my second story. So I'm going to go for my second mm. question, uh, which was the, um, where is it? Uh, here it is, just so I can find my notes. This was about uh, how much profit do car dealers make on new and used cars, the perception versus reality. This story has gone absolutely bonkers on our website this week. Um, yesterday, most popular story. Today, it sent our numbers through the roof. Um, and I... I just thought this was really interesting because there's a lot of people, you know, if you ask your friends and family, how much do you think a car dealer makes on that car? I'd, I think a lot of them would think a lot more than they actually make. Um, and that's what this survey pretty much showed, really. Um, they, it was a big sample size um, uh, carried out exclusively for us by Wattcar uh, of 5,000 car buyers. Um, and on new cars, 28.2% said um they thought dealers make between 10 and 20 percent um and it was the, the also the most popular choice for used cars but again this time more people voted um for that they 35.8 percent said they thought it was between 10 and 20 percent but there were some people i mean two percent of these five thousand people thought they made more than 75 percent profit really? on the i haven't read this yeah <laughs> i mean Christ. i can't believe that that i mean if they read the question properly or tick tick the button uh, the right button because that's just unbelievable it's not if they thought that and they're not a car dealer then like what are you doing if you thought you could be a car dealer and make 75 percent margin you would just yeah. do it wouldn't you <laughs> i mean it, but it was a really interesting split i mean so of not not to five percent profit 15% of them thought that was the case. Um, but if you go over 20%, the amount of people who thought it was over 20% was around 25, about a quarter of people think that dealers make more than 20%, between 20 and 75%. <laughs> absolutely bonkers. But we, um, as part of this, we, we spoke to um, some big dealer groups and, and looked at their, looked at their uh, published results um, and spoke to some of the um, accountancies to make sure we were on the money. But most of them said that on a new car, their profit ranges between 5 and 7%, uh, and on a used car, um, around 12 to 15%. So it was just thought it was interesting, this perception for versus reality. And I suppose this is probably why it's gone so crazy. There's a lot of consumers out there thinking, well, how much do car dealers actually make? And there's a lot of car dealers out there thinking, how much do they think we make? <laughs> because then all of a sudden, you know where the negotiations are going to start, don't you? Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Rupert? I mean, do you, th do you think consumers well, think dealers just make money hand over fist or do they actually realize that really return on sales is about one percent on average well I, I was quite surprised by this as well that two percent figure at, at over 75 percent just made me giggle a lot um I, I you know i think they they probably got it right in the used car uh, you know they were right with the expectations around a used car um i think that they have expectations um higher expectations for new cars but that's a complicated market and that uh, that can change and uh, you know the the amount made is not necessarily recognized across the bonnet in terms of a profit uh, uh, per unit basis as we know that there, there's other things at play in the background but uh, yeah it was an interesting story for sure um uh, and sensibly approached in in the way in which it was done you commissioned that, and that was a good thing to do yeah 
Um, I think the big uh, Jim Jim Holder from from Watcar pointed it out. But if you walk into, I mean, I went to Sitner's new Jaguar Land Rover dealership on at the top of the M3 last week um, or week before last for, for an interview. It is unbelievable. I mean, it is it is like a super supercharged Apple store, the most beautiful place. You would sort of think that the customers going in there would they? Oh yeah, these guys are making money here. You can see where that seventy five percent figure comes from. You think, well, yeah. if they, can, if they can afford all this. How on earth? You know, they're, they're definitely making a hell of a lot of money. I think that the aspirations or, or the guidelines and, and rulings that uh, some of the OEMs have in terms of the appearance of premises doesn't help that. Um, on the other hand, they're trying to, at the same time, promote the fact that they have this wonderful brand and it's aspirational and buy one of these cars and you could look like this too. But you, you, it doesn't help with that uh, perception of you, you're just taking all our money, all of the money and more. Um, which, uh, you know, I mean, this piece is a good educational piece because it's, it's highlighting that that isn't the case. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I think um, as we move forward uh, and talking about the appearance uh, and the number of franchises within each particular um, environment, each particular dealership will change. You head towards a, a sales agency agreement as well. That will that will have a big impact on what those what those places will look like going forward. Someone said to me on um, someone said to me on Twitter that you've got to hope that the when they do go to those agency models that the profits that the manufacturers pick to give to dealers are at the higher end of those scales yeah. <laughs> they, they need to if they want to if they need to be if they want to maintain that kind of a property yeah, yeah. right becca over to you yeah i was just going to say i think um do you remember earlier on the pandemic when car dealers were sending our guidance about what consumers allowed to do to customers mm. i'm just hoping this is the new one when customers try to negotiate and then they just go back with this is how much we actually make. Oh, what, you mean sending our story around? Yeah, yeah, or just adding it to their email or something. That'd be handy if anyone's listening. Um, my next story kind of links in with that a little bit. Um, I thought it was quite interesting, some news from Auto Trader this week, which was basically a warning saying, you need to remember to change the prices on all of your used car stock because, well, reading between the lines, this is why I think obviously they've got their um, comparisons, which will tell you, if a car is overpriced or underpriced. And I can assume that if some dealers aren't necessarily updating their stock prices as fast as prices are changing, that's meaning that a lot of stock is looking overpriced when it's not. So the, yeah, reading between the lines, I think that's their point. Uh, this was this was on my list as well. And um, the, the, the stat in this story that really sprung out for me was the fact that supply dropped 18 percent we're talking about may aren't we supply mm. dropped 18 percent while consumer demand was up 36 percent oh. um, and they had 73 million visitors to australia it broke all their records so it shows you doesn't it why this this used car market is is so crazy at the moment when you're seeing when you're seeing stats like that i mean we are talking retail prices yeah. here, aren't we um I mean, it's, it's slightly different across the picture. I mean, Rupert, you're the perfect person to yeah. talk to us. This is why I didn't want to start quizzing you about it at the start, because <laughs> I, knew, I knew this one would come up. I mean, what's your take on this at the moment? I mean, you're looking at this on a weekly basis, aren't you? And, and we, we cover a lot of the stuff that you do. But do. Yeah. when you see these reports come out from the likes of Auto Trader and CAP and, and eBay Motors Group, they all say stuff that's slightly different. What, what's your take on it? 
So you're right. This this was on my list. So it's, it's you know it's why you shouldn't have asked me to start with. Uh, I'm fascinated <laughs> by this because there are really many dynamics in play with this. So uh, we're looking at a, a view of a marketplace through AutoTrader, which is uh, a finite marketplace. Um, we look at the whole market data. We look at a, a larger volume of vehicles. Um, and uh, when you're looking at the, some of the data that uh, Darren from CAT reports on, uh, he, he's very, very wholesale based. From our perspective, looking at a whole market driven by retail data, we do see prices increasing overall. And we have done throughout the whole period. What we don't do is see the uh, the, the increases that uh, of the of the level in the retail marketplace that AutoTrader have have spoken about. And I think that's probably down to the fact that we're looking at a bigger marketplace. But I think it's also down to the fact that we are uh, we're not just averaging a price out here. Uh, I don't know the the exact detail of how the AutoTrader do their pricing. What I do know is the, the way in which we work our data science, and therefore um, we are seeing an increase in price but we're not seeing these huge jump upwards. What was interesting, this was, it was a notification, I think, about older vehicles, uh, particularly not being moved up in price um, to match with the marketplace. We do a lot of work with some very large dealer groups in the UK where we help them to understand the speed churn of their vehicles, how those prices relate on a day-by-day -day basis. So we're not just weekly, we do it day-by-day, -day, um, how it relates to the rest of the marketplace. And uh, a comment that says, don't forget to move your, 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 old, your old stock up in price um, is an interesting comment and it grabs a headline. But the reality here is, if that stock at that price still hasn't sold, then it's not priced right still. And putting it up isn't necessarily going to sell that vehicle. So um, there is no doubt that there is demand for some vehicles. And I could talk hours about which cars they were, which types of vehicles, which fuel types. And it's a, it's a fascinating environment at the moment. But we're not seeing these huge jumps that perhaps AutoTrader is seeing. The converse side of it is actually when you look at some of the wholesale information that uh, Darren talks about with, from Cap, um, he will be seeing small volumes and certain vehicles that do go through the roof. And that can, it's not, it, it's not blanket. Um, uh, and we, we have trade data as well. We just don't work our, our calculations from the trade data. We use that to, uh, to corroborate our, our trade pricing. Um, and there are uh, unique instances where you will have a particular vehicle that is either in short demand in the marketplace, you know, short supply in the, in, in the retail marketplace, um, uh, or you will have a vehicle that might be a fabulous color with a really good trim and a good set of options. And that will absolutely go through the roof on a wholesale price, usually because the buyer of that vehicle has already got it pre-sold. The other piece that I will say is that what we're not seeing in those instances where the wholesale pricing is, is much higher, we're not seeing that retail price increase uh, in, in, in the same proportion. Now, that is because there's other com competitive vehicles out there and you can't just suddenly say, well, there aren't many in the market, so I bought this one. I'm going to ask an extra £2,000 for it because I've had to pay that for it. You just won't sell the car. Nobody will look at it because it's not in line with the market. So uh, the other side also being that the dealers are short of stock and therefore they need something on their forecourt and they'd probably rather take that with a reduced margin, knowing that they can take money from the F&I side of it as well as the profit from the metal. So... I've, you've set me off into one. And <laughs> I do find it really interesting because I often think this about auto trader pricing in particular, because they are, they don't know what that car actually sold for in the end. And obviously they've got masses of data. So they're, and they're averaging it out. So there's a good chance that what they're saying is that sort of the right price to sell a car at, but at the end of the day, cars are only worth what someone will pay for them. And you, you can't remember though, 
a lot of people, you a lot of dealers use auto traders to get an idea of where they. Oh yeah, go. I'm not saying they're wrong at all, but so, it would be so interesting to know what the cars actually sold, sold for at the end, how much people were willing to pay. You're not going to get that data, are you? This is the problem. You don't. Nobody actually knows the exact price apart from the dealer that sold it, what it yeah. sold for. So it yeah. is a, it's a guesstimate, isn't it? Let's go say I do. It is a bit of a guesstimate. Um, I can't divulge it, but through the customers that we work with, we do see the transactional price on a vehicle. And I think that AutoTrader would probably say something similar. Now, from our calculations over the last few years, we find that actually the transaction price is very, very close to the retail asking price. Um, and that is a big shift in the marketplace. That has become particularly um, important during this lockdown period because, of course, that whole sale process, particularly online, has changed. There is no sitting at the desk glaring at each other eye to eye saying, come on, give me £100 off or whatever it might be. It's a tick box exercise. That's the price of the car. Do you want it or don't you? Yeah. Mm. So there have been other incentives perhaps that go into place, but that transactional price on a vehicle is very, very close to the retail asking price. And that, that's a good thing. But, you know, the retail price is all about getting that customer to inquire about the vehicle and getting them to walk into a dealership or make an appointment with a dealership these days. And that's the attracting price. So we say with a fair degree of, of confidence, and I think Auto Trader would also agree with what I'm saying, that actually the transactional price isn't far off what that retail asking price is these days. I, I I bet, that, I bet that's got a lot closer during as people have been selling this stuff online. There hasn't really been the chance to negotiate, has there? Yeah. It, it, interestingly, this week I was talking to a good friend of mine who was um, trying to sell her Audi Q3 at the end of, um, I think, about November time, and she was offered £12,000 for it. And I said, if you had a recent... She didn't want it. That, that wasn't enough for her. I said, if you had a recent valuation... Um, and she said, no, I just forgot about forgot about selling it. So I said, oh, I think you should have another look. So I contacted a couple of dealers, um, immediately was bid 16 grand for it. Wow, that's a big jump. Massive jump, isn't it? And I mean, she was absolutely staggered. And they took her, they said, oh, it's 15 and a half if we, uh, if we come and collect it and we'll pay you cash from the bank tomorrow. She was absolutely over the moon. But mm. I just wonder, my, my, my question would be, do you, we've written about this loads and loads. We're obviously a trade publication. A lot of consumers end up on our website. But I, do you think consumers are, are aware of how much these cars, their cars, are going up in price and how quickly they are? And why now is actually a really good time to sell your used car? Do you think they know? So that's a really... A really pertinent question and I don't necessarily think that people do realize that uh, it's a hard one to approach because whilst the price for their vehicle has gone up if they're just looking to trade up yes. to a newer car they've got to spend more money exactly. for that car, potentially spend more money for that car um so it's a difficult one. Uh, and there has been a lot of press coverage. So, you know, uh, we, we were talking about um, uh, the Telegraph uh, and some of the, the, the uh, articles that have been written in the Telegraph recently. And uh, that is beginning to address it. And I think the other side of it is the number of people that have, uh, have used We Buy Any Car and are on the We Buy Any Car records. Um, I have sold uh, two or three vehicles in the last six months and, and they none to them, I hasten to add, but they keep reminding me uh, on, a, on a weekly to monthly basis how much that th those cars have uh, gone up. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I think a number of people will know it, but it, it's cross-referencing that with what they've got to, what they've got to pay for a replacement vehicle. 
I'm going to look into this one a little bit more um, with with some some research, I think, because I, I'd like to know whether consumers actually realise that they could sell their cars to local car dealers mm. without buying another car. Because I bet you most people would say, oh, no, I'm, doesn't that mean I have to go and buy something else? But actually, there'd be a lot of dealers out there that would snap up these cars for stock. Um, yeah. I just don't think I just don't think consumers realise. And I have seen some... Some dealers do big campaigns, you know, we'll buy your car, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not sure whether consumers realise it. I'm going to look into that one further. I will say there's a, a great increase in, in my area, Northamptonshire, Cambridgeshire, of, of the number of dealers with uh, an A board outside saying, we want your car for cash. You know, right, just yeah. as simple and as basic as that. Yeah. Um, and that's big outlets, um, franchise, non-franchise. It's, it's quite a thing. Yeah, interesting. I'm going to look into that one further. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is driven by CarGurus. You want the best return from your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, you can get 10% reduction on your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Is it my go? Yes, go for it. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, a reasonably quick one, um, but I'm going to go with Stoneacre confirming it's bought R&B Automotive this week after we exclusively revealed the rumours, I hasten to add. Um, <laughs> which we like well done um <laughs> well done john bowman well yep. done um so yeah um stoneacre has bought rmb automotive they are a um uh, they've got a toyota and lexus showroom in stockton on tees as well as uh, toyota renault and dacia in north Allerton and darlington um stoneacre is a brilliant business and seems to be growing rapidly um it's I think this is a this is a, another acquisition. This is an acquisition that follows another one. I can't quite remember what it was, but it wasn't too long ago. They seem to be doing a lot of this and growing and growing fast. They were the eighth most profitable dealer group in our car dealer top 100, with EBITDA of 24.7 million. So, a very profitable group. Do you know much about about these guys, um, Rupert? Uh, Stoneacre, um, not, um, well, I do, um, but I can't really talk about some of it, um, but um, <laughs> from their point of view, it's a, it's a growing dealer group. You're absolutely right. They, they are growing. They've got a commitment to do so. It's interesting to watch the type of uh, um, uh, businesses that they are approaching and taking hold of. I can't remember who the other one was, but R&B Automotive, you're right. You did pick it up about a couple of weeks or so ago. I remember seeing yeah. it, thinking, interesting. Um, but uh, they, no, they've got a, a really good um, approach to a uh, transparent I think approach to doing business with the consumer um, with the retail buyer uh, and that's a good thing we, we know from the interactions that we've had with them over the past few years um, that they they work really really hard to make that journey easy for the customer and, and you know he, that that's a, a great place to be and they should continue to do that. 29 brands they've got 138 locations with 62 branches so a big deal I mean that's probably about the same size as virtue i think in terms of in terms of number of locations yeah. virtue around 140 but anyway i just thought it was interesting and nice to know that we were right over to you rebecca you always like to mention those ones um my next one is um 
Another WhatCar survey, which was about how 40% of consumers would downgrade specification to get the car they wanted due to the microchip shortages. But what I found particularly interesting was um, just talking about that awareness (laughs) is that uh, 58% of consumers are aware that there's a microchip shortage. Mm. So while they might not be aware that their car's worth more, they're probably aware that they can't get the one they necessarily want at the moment. And now know what a microchip or a semiconductor is. I mean, I didn't know that. Up no. Until, <laughs> I didn't realise how many were in cars. There's something like 1,500 in a car, isn't there? So, in- I didn't realise there were that many. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do now. Top fact. Yeah, top. Um, yeah I thought it was interesting. Um, it's clearly a but- massive problem, isn't it? And um, it quite neatly, unless you want to talk about it anymore, uh, helps segue onto my one, um, which is about the... Um, the top selling new cars uh, in May. Um, and th- th- the reason I picked this one is because the Ford Fiesta is absolutely plummeted. The Ford Fiesta has is, is, is been- Are we talking best- um, SMMT stats? SMMT yeah. stats, Just yeah, checking. For, for new cars in May. Mm. Uh, this, came out, this came out today, actually. Mm. Um, but um, the Ford Fiesta wasn't top. I mean, it was actually seventh. Um, but what was a lot higher up the list was um, the Puma. So, you can see where the what these manufacturers are doing they're shifting these semiconductors that they do have in the closet somewhere into the the more um profitable units like the puma puma is based on the fiesta isn't it so actually but they may probably make a hell of a lot more money out of selling a puma than they do a fiesta and you can i think we're starting to see those dynamics now shifting shifting a little bit um so i hadn't really thought about it that way i just kind of thought people who have fiestas currently want to move into the puma but i do think that's definitely part of it but i'm sure you're probably right by the rest of it thanks i'm glad you said that. <laughs> i don't uh, want to get into an argument on the podcast but the uh, the, the ford focus wasn't even in the list i mean no. and that's been that's been the best list for on a monthly basis for, for years now, I also found this very interesting. This was on my list as well, because I've been watching how registrations have gone through the course of the month. Um, and we've actually seen that there's been an increase in volume of pre-registered cars sitting in the marketplace. So I was actually very interested to understand where this figure would end up for the month and to see what the bestseller list looks like. Fascinated to see that Golf is at the top. Yeah, Golf, um, you know, it, it is a mainstream vehicle. I understand that. You're right. Focus hasn't appeared in, uh, in the top listing um, for, for a couple of months uh, uh, now. In fact, year to date, it's still, um, I'm just checking now, it's still not in that top 10. Um, but you're, you're absolutely correct in what they're doing. It isn't just that people don't want to buy Fiestas. They are shifting, I would suggest, I don't know, they are sensibly shifting production to vehicles that will make a bigger margin um, whilst they can. Uh, um, and of course, the other part of uh, Fiesta could also be, you know, Fiesta is a great car for rental fleets and so forth. Um, are rental fleets buying vehicles? Yeah. Not really? So, you know, that could contribute to it. But yeah, this month, looking at those bestsellers was a really interesting piece for me. They're quite low numbers, aren't they, as well? Yes, the, they are. I mean, if you kind of scroll back to sort of March time, I'm mm. just looking at our interactive graphic on our website. Um, <laughs> but the uh, in March, the best-selling car was a Vauxhall Corsa mm. um, and had sold nearly 8,000. But in May, it's really plummeted. Best-selling car was a gold for only selling 4,000. So I suppose this is... New plate month. 
Yeah, yeah, I get that. I suppose it's. I just wonder if you compare it to 2019, though, May 2019, it's down quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's a 15% down, wasn't it? Are you able to tell us what was on what was being massively pre registered, or is this from secret lists that you've seen? Um, no, I can't tell you that, not necessarily because it's secret, but because I just I've got, I haven't got it up on screen. Oh, right. <laughs> I have this wonderful uh, market trend dashboard, which I've got two versions of sitting on my screen in front of me that I can flip through and look at certain things, but it will not tell me which vehicle it is. Um, I'm going to come oh. back on that maybe towards the end of our discussion. And I may be able to... how, how do you know that it's been pre-raged? How do you so, know that it is because there's a massive bulk of them on a certain date to one person? Um, no, so um, we we take a judgment uh, around the age of the vehicle. So we would call a pre-reg vehicle if it's under three months old, and it's under five. I think it's five hundred miles, maybe a thousand miles. Um, and if we see an increase in the volume of those type of adverts, then we would class that as a pre-registered vehicle. Um, when you absolutely look into the detail of it, uh, which we do for customers, you can begin to see uh, who's done what, and that that's really interesting. Um, but it's it, you can also see that through uh, some of the data that the SMMT uh, make available. This is a complete aside, uh, yeah. but I was just wondering whether you might have seen it. It was on social media recently, a load of um, Mercedes-Benz S-classes that were two years old with hardly any miles on them whatsoever suddenly appearing on the market. Do you know anything about that? I mean, uh, everybody was saying, well, where have, they, where have they come from? And why are they such low mileage? I mean, I think so. I can't remember accurately, but I'm pretty sure they were very, very low, like delivery mileage, some of these things. Like how many of them were you? And we're talking quite a few. I mean, it was on, I think, popped up on eBay. Did, did you see that at all, Rupert? I did see it. Um, unfortunately, I don't know any more detail on it. Um, it, it you know, there are a variety of different reasons that they, this could have happened. They could have been sold through to a chauffeur company that, and, and as a result of further pandemic haven't been used in the way that were expected. Um, they could have been um, uh, some form of pre-registration activity around a vehicle that is coming towards the, uh, some form of legislative change that they needed to register. Why they wouldn't have, have, have put those into the marketplace beforehand, I wouldn't know. Um, but that, that's the kind of activity that you would expect for something that's approaching uh, the end of a legislative um, uh, period um, where, where they may, you know, you can't put them into the marketplace. Um, but really weird that they should have so many of them with low mileage. That that does smack of some form of, of uh, chauffeur fleet that just hasn't been able to operate. Yeah, mm. some, some S-classes hit down the back of the sofa. Yes, yes. I can talk about an experience of this that happened 20 years or so ago, but I won't. Oh, I love these stories when they come out. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it on a podcast. I will do it if you buy me alcohol. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, shall I move on to my story on that note? Yeah, go yeah. Um, So I chose this story because we obviously talked about that really expensive in Prepsa last week. And um, yeah this week collecting cars passed their 100 million pounds worth of sales but they sold um a very special Impreza for i think it was 610 million yep. 10, 000, 000. Not, not million. million yeah million. <laughs> i was looking at million in front of me <laughs> i meant thousand 610 trillion pounds it's still quite a lot though isn't it yeah it's colin mccray's car wasn't it yeah i thought it was, was yeah it? Yeah, it was Colin McRae's yeah. car. And he was a god, but he wasn't six hundred and ten million pounds worth of no. uh, Can you imagine Pro Drive? <laughs> they were probably like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm gonna Oh sorry, no, it was 
Are you done with that? Oh, sorry, I've interrupted you. Good to you. Yeah, sort of. No, I'm half reading. Um, ex, ex Richard Byrne Subaru in Brexit for a world oh, record oh. 610,000, but it is the same livery. Nice. Yeah. Apologies. No, no. Just put that bit out for me. <laughs> Another rally legend. Um, you um, may go now. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with, as my last story, um, the another used car story, the fact that they are selling in record time. Um, and I know we've mentioned this um, earlier, but this was, um, this was stats from eBay Motors Group um, saying used cars are selling on average in 39 days. Um, and the last time, the last time they'd seen um, to, uh, the cars selling that quickly was in 2019. So, um, and the other thing that they mentioned is the fact that the stock numbers are down, down considerably in uh, in May to just 42 units. And you rewind that one back to May 2019, and on average, dealers had 67 used cars in stock. So it shows you there's a lot of empty forecourts out there, isn't there? Rupert, is it going to get better anytime soon? And these we're going to have a sudden glut of cars suddenly appear from well, somewhere. Mercedes S classes. <laughs> yeah, very low mileage. Um, so this was interesting as well. So I think our average day to sale is, is lower than that at about 29 or so. Um, and uh, in terms of live listings, uh, live listings in the marketplace, I think are down by uh, no live listings in the marketplace are slightly up as far as we see it in May, but that would have come down. Uh, as we've gone into June. Um, in terms of what's going to happen in the future, um, you know, we've still got a period ahead of us where we are going to be short of stock. Um, now, we're in a half-term week this week. It'll be interesting to see what happens with sales uh, and, uh, and volume of stock in the marketplace when we look at the data beginning part of next week. So that'll be an interesting thing to look at. As we go forward between now and summer holiday time, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where the... Uh, the remarketing and logistics um, uh, functions that have been struggling a little bit with the social distancing uh, measures that are still in place, um, which has been slowing them down in, in uh, sort of processing stock available for sale and also for sort of delivery of vehicles. We're going to see that get into a better place. So if there is more used car stock in the marketplace, which there could well be, you know, starting to come through from defleets and so forth, then we're going to see more stock available. I'm not talking about price drops, huge price drops or anything like that, but I think there'll be more of a stability. And um, we also need to bear in mind that we'll be coming into a summer holiday period and actually a lot of people will go away, staycations in the UK, as it would seem, uh, as our green list dwindles. Um, and there is also uh, discussion around the fact that there is uh, there are alternative ways to spend your money at the moment and that those ways are other, other leisure uh, pursuits so holidays doing your garden doing stuff around the house um, people are able to get out and be able to see feel touch and do these things in a better way than they were before so actually um, it's going to remain important for the dealers to have uh, their you know their online uh, showrooms absolutely in tip-top uh, form their forecourts looking absolutely great because they will find they've got comp competition for where the consumer spends that that money um so i think things will get better we're not going to see a drop in pricing uh, we're going to see some stability and it'll be about six weeks or so before that happens hmm. it'll be interesting to see how the summer pans out that's my list that is five Have um, you got one more? yes i've got one more but i think it's probably quite a short one um, it was the news today that Fiat is going to go all electric by 2030. And I put Shock. this on my list because... Well, you mean why by... Why does it just feel so normal? 
What they're going to go all electric by the gov- by the time yeah. the government have mandated that they have to go electric? Well, that's news, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's only in the UK that rule, isn't it? I know, and but they're still, a global brand. I mean, well, come on. I mean, I know everybody's going to follow it up. I think the government's I mean, just we... going to wait till like twenty twenty five and then go, ha ha, fooled you. We have to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it just seems like it seems strange that brands going all electric should feel so normal. Not so much fear. I don't know why. Things like Ford, though. I, <laughs> one of the guy, one of the guys said uh, in the morning meeting about this when it came out. He said, "In typical Fiat style, they've said we're going to go all electric, but it will be at some point between 2025 and 2030. We don't actually know <laughs> that is so Italian. It's un- <laughs> <laughs> probably means when they sell out of all the petrol and diesel. Yeah. We can't promise when it's going to happen. It will be some point." between this five-year period. <laughs> Are you seeing anything interesting about electric cars, Rupert? Uh, so this is this is great. I mean, this whole transition period is, um, is going to be really exciting. So I see a lot of things of headlines that say uh, something but don't really say anything, a bit like that bit. Um, what are you trying to say about car dealer? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't very careful there, was I? <laughs> What I'm saying is that that headline is, you know, it's what Fiat have said, and you're right, yeah. reported it, but uh, and it's not actually saying anything, as James has mm. just said, you know, uh, and there are a lot of people that are saying nothing behind a headline, and that, well, you, you, you know what I mean, this yeah. like, yeah. we're going to do this for so and so, well, you have to, guys, that's, that's not necessarily news. Um, <laughs> So what I'm what I'm saying also is that when you uh, look at this whole marketplace and how it's changing, it's very exciting because there's very limited information out there in the marketplace to help either the consumer or if you're looking at the dealer and the and the contractor and leasing uh, arena to help them to understand what the impact is going to be. The, what I can tell you is that we will go through a period of. Uh, r- uh, increased um, depreciation on certain vehicles. I refer to hybrid vehicles and I refer to some of the early battery electric vehicles where um, perhaps manufacturers have rushed to put a hybrid vehicle in the marketplace that does a whole 20 miles on battery, um, which today might tick some people's boxes in terms of a new vehicle sale. But in six months, a year, two years time, who the hell is going to want one that does 20 miles? And that will be reflected in the price of that vehicle because in the interim period, they will, have, they will have launched something that does 30 miles or 40 miles. So a very rapid increase in technology that's available, a very good increase in drivability and range, but that will damage the, um, the rate of depreciation of those vehicles. And of course, we need to remember that the way those vehicles depreciate is going to be different, uh, particularly for battery electric vehicles, to the traditional uh, ICE cars, because... An ice car will depreciate until it's a lump of metal, um, and that's 150 quid of scrap today, perhaps, or maybe 200 pounds. Um, a battery electric vehicle will have an intrinsic value in that battery and will never draw to that level. It will be somewhere around two and a half to 3,000 pounds because that battery will go on Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, I never never even thought of that. That's he's a very, very good point, isn't it? Because they can be used again. They, okay, they might not be good enough to power the car, but they can be used yeah. to store, store electric in other ways, aren't they? So. Absolutely, yeah. So we see a really different depreciation curve. And actually, when you're looking at forecasting, um, the methodology we use is all data science based. It's based on fact from retail pricing, and you come up with a figure. And we show customers the transparency on, on data as to why we would have come up with that figure. 
um, some of the traditional forecasting methods are done on personal subjectivity. You know, what does somebody think that vehicle is going to be worth? And there's some very experienced individuals in the marketplace that, that make a judgment on, on how much a car is going to be worth. Um, but that is influenceable. Um, uh, and going through this period of rapid change, uh, it, it will be very difficult for that type of methodology to be accurate. It'd be difficult enough using, using data science. Um, so there's a hell of a learning journey. Um, it, it, using as much insight as you've got has to be the way forward. But I'm really looking forward to this, this change. Uh, yeah. Once battery electric vehicles get to a, a consistent driving range of about 400 miles, I've said this for years, that's the point where it's a, it's a, you know, it's a no-brainer for somebody to change. Yeah. So you drive more than 400 miles in one go. Um, your bladder will explode. You, you'll yeah. die of starvation. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely going to need a cost of coffee by that point. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no reason why you wouldn't buy a battery electric vehicle at the moment once you get to that sort of level. Yeah, true. Thanks, Rupert. You made my very boring story actually interesting. So is there anything that you think that we forgot then? What else was on your list? Well, there were two things, actually. Um, one of which was the comment around Aston Barclay and the used vehicle desirability index. So uh, yes. From what I remember, Aston Barclay were looking at uh, their data and helping to provide their uh, buyers with a desirability index on a, on a different vehicle in terms of how that might retail. Uh, now, I think that's fascinating. We, we also do that from a retail perspective. We help, help the dealers to understand you know, dates to sale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I found that really interesting that, that there's an auction company that's actually looking to help um, uh, dealers to understand that kind of information at the point of purchase or, or, or put just prior to the point of purchase. I think that's that's good mm. use of data. Yeah. Lexus NX was top, um, followed by the Mercedes E-Class and then the um, Mercedes GLC and then the I, Audi Q5. I do like that about Aston Barkley is they're, they're very tech focused and they're very good at making it as easy as possible for the dealer. Um so yeah, I can see Tesla, why they've done that, but clever. Tesla Model mm. Three and Fifth. Oh, you just that, Model Three, don't you, James? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one day I'll buy one. <laughs> no, you probably won't. And that brings me on to my next one. <laughs> the other thing that I found of interest was the um, uh, the Kazoo uh, uh, subscription service and the sort of amalgamation and uh, I think dissipation of uh, uh, of Drover because um, yeah, uh, you you won't buy that car, will you? You'll probably take it out on a subscription. Well, funny you should say that because looked at that quite in, in detail. Becca's doing a feature at the moment. Well, on, yeah, I was on onto, aren't you? Yeah, um, so I don't know if you've heard of onto, but they are very similar to what Drover was, and that they just do electric cars. But I interviewed, um, I think it was their COO. It's really terrible. I can't remember, but really, really interesting. Um, I tried one for a month, and I hmm. was completely converted to the idea that because I so I've never bought a car on a PCP, and I think as a kind of car journalist we tend to end up buying weird and wonderful used cars but um but what really puts me off about it is the idea of putting a big massive deposit down or looking at mm. that balloon payment and thinking oh so the idea that i could put down 500 quid and that was just my first monthly payment and mm. if i didn't like it i could swap into something else or i could just say no i don't want to do this anymore um but what i found really interesting was that um when they dropped the car off they have a delivery person who drops it off and she was really like quite apprehensive about the fact about saying like, I'm not actually part of one too. Cause she says a lot of people, the car turns up and they complain because they've been told they've got a red car and it's got a black roof or, and I just thought that was like absolute madness that people are so picky, but I get, I guess again, as car people, mm -hmm. we don't really think about things that way that other people are totally like, Oh, it's got a black roof. Wasn't, yeah. the, model, wasn't the model three a thousand pounds for a month? 
Yeah, but then if you think about how much a Model 3 would cost to buy through Tesla, you'd have to put down. And that includes insurance. Yeah, insurance. And the best thing about it is, it in, not that I want to turn this into a massive sales thing for Ontu, but I was amazed that they, they include um, charging for a lot of charging stations. So if you use like Shell oh. or BP, you could just charge for free. So yeah, insurance. You, you don't obviously need don't need to do servicing. Yeah. Yeah. See what works out, which one works out better. But you're probably right, because I'm pretty sure getting the getting a Tesla on a PCP, depending on how much you put down, is about between five and seven hundred quid a month. But again, so there's pretty... there's a lot of good lease deals around at the moment as well for people who are looking for a bit more commitment. But yeah, it's interesting. Very different market we're in now to what we banged on about a couple of years back. So Rupert, big question. <laughs> who, who whom has won? <laughs> whom has won? This is this is a really difficult thing. Um, so do you know what? Um, uh, what are the rules here? What well, am I? Uh, you've you've basically, here? You basically got to pick the, uh, the 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 person you thought picked the best. Yeah, to be honest, it's pretty subjective. But I feel the fact that you do data science that this is going to be the best win, <laughs> isn't it? Because you're, you're very analytic about it. On Excel at the moment, just smashing out a really good spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. on this. One. Yeah, yeah. spreadsheet as we go through. Uh, <laughs> oh, you see, here's the difficult thing. You you both got some really really good stories here. Um, I think probably my favourite stories were around the profit that uh, dealers make, um, but also uh, auto trader changing prices on all stock. Um, so it's a tough one. When you put all the five stories together and who came up with the best selection of stories, <laughs> um, Becca, I'm, sorry, I'm going with James. Oh. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, it's oh, fine. Sorry. That was brilliant. That was like you're rounding out top 10 of best, <laughs> best songs ever. <laughs> I think if you ask for one, the best story, the best story that I think provoked the biggest discussion, then it's order traded and the, and the changing prices on all stock because I think it's fascinating and it's in, incredibly important that retailers today watch the price on every single vehicle and our products give them a to-do list every morning that tells them what cars need to be changed. It's actionable, it's there and then, and that is brilliant. But if you're looking at all the stories together, I'm sorry, I think James has it. Thank That's you. Fine. I feel like that was a good runners-up prize that my story was actually better. I'll um, take that. Thank you very much. 11, yeah. 10. Your serve. Yes. I also feel like Darren Martin will listen to this in the morning and be like, I do data stuff as well. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Darren. Yes, you, you're also, we put your decisions very high up as well. Um, <laughs> you can tell I don't do data stuff. I can barely get my words out. Outro, outro, outro. Yes, okay. So yes, thank you, Rupert. Thank you very much for that. Um, I won't hold it against you that you gave the win to James. Um, thank you very much to our wonderful new sponsors, Car Gurus, as well. And if you are listening to uh, the podcast on your iPhone and you want to find out more about any of these stories, you are able there to click on the description and click into the links and it will take you to them on the car dealer website. If you're using anything else, you will be able to see what the stories are, but you won't be able to click them. Sorry, but I will be writing a story over the weekend, which you will be able to find them all there instead. So um, take a look and find out more. But if you think we've missed anything, as we said, I doubt you have, but um, I've got to go because that's what I paid you. So bye. <laughs> that's why you're like, wrap it up, wrap it up. Sorry. Uh, and if you're listening to this and wondering about that, James does lifeboat stuff. So yeah, he's running out of his flat right now. Um, thank you and goodbye on that note.